How are we this morning? Good, good, good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We get to cover a few more verses uh, this week than we did last week. Last week we talked about Jesus being led into the wilderness, and we, we talked about how the language that Mark uses in, uh, in chapter 1 and really throughout the whole text, we said it wasn't like the other books. It wasn't like Matthew or Luke, kind of polished, nice grammar, nice um, use of word choice. Mark's just kind of rough. And instead of other texts you would read where Jesus was led into the, spirit, into the wilderness by the Spirit, Mark uses intentionally the word drove, that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, and there he was tempted. And Today I want you to see something, and we're going to pray again in just a minute because we love to pray around here, but I want you to see something very, very linked and very significant this morning with the sovereignty of God and the suffering of man. You can't take the sovereignty of God out of the suffering of man. The suffering of man and the sovereignty of God, they, they, they go together. Either God is absent and doesn't understand what we're going through, or he's totally aware hence his sovereignty, he's totally aware of actually what we're walking through as a people, and he cares about what we're going through as a people. So this morning, I want you to see the sovereignty of God and the suffering of man. I'm going to pray one time, and then we're going to get after it. Father, you are infinitely better than anything that we could experience on this planet. You're the greatest of all time. There's none like you. There's never been any like you. God, there will never be any like you. You are God, and you are God alone. So I pray this morning as we, together as a faith family, work through chapter uh, 1, verse 14 through 20, God, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. God, don't let us miss a thing this morning. Let us key into the text and see what you might want to do and say with us this morning. So we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start in verse 14. I'll read it to you, and then we'll, we'll go through the text. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. You, again, I said, I think Mark used the word immediately like 41 times in this book. So you will see that word immediately. And remember, I want you to keep this in your mind as we're working through Mark chapter one and for the rest of the book, Mark is always running to Calvary. Remember, he's rushing through the book. It's always immediately. It's one scene to the next. He leaves out uh, big chunks of details that you would find in Mark or, or Matthew or you would find in Luke. You won't find in Mark because Mark is just hitting the high points, getting to the gospel, getting to the passion week. So, Let's start back at 14. After John was put in prison. I, I want to show you this because when I saw this in the text, I was kind of floored. John spends his life for the sake of the Messiah. So John is the forerunner. John is the prophet. He's the one telling prophesying that the Messiah is coming, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is on his way, the, the one who is going to set things right, and the one who's going to redeem mankind. He is on the way. He spends his life telling this story, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene, and we see this, and Jesus is baptized, and, and 
Then John's story almost seems to be cut short. Does anybody know what happens to John right after Jesus comes on the scene? He goes to jail. He goes to jail for standing up for the truth, and then shortly after that, he's beheaded. All right? It's kind of a rough story. Anybody else agree? Kind of nod your head like... And when I'm reading this, I don't know if you're like me, but I have sometimes have these what moments in Scripture. Like I'm reading along in Scripture, and I, I see God doing something, I see something happen to man. I'm like, what? And I'm like, I'm a little frustrated, to be honest with you, in the text, because I'm like, God, this guy has poured out his life for you. He lived in the wilderness. Remember we said he was kind of the hippie guy that loved Jesus and just kind of bounced from house to house, you know, and just went from wilderness to wilderness, screaming, proclaiming the way of the Lord. He ate locusts and honey and wore camel's hair. He was just kind of a hippie that drifted and proclaimed the day of the Lord. And his story is that his whole life is spent, and all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene, and he's thrown into prison, and he dies. I'm like, seriously? Like, that should have been the time in my mind, right? My earthly mind. I'm like, that's the time when he should have got a promotion. I'm like, hey, John, I know you've been spending your whole life for you. I'm Jesus. I'm on the scene. Why don't you kind of be my right-hand guy? We'll just kick it for the next few years. But no. John went to prison and then he died. And there's another piece of scripture that I want you to look at, um, or not go to, but just hear me when I say this. Moses, most of us are familiar with the story and we like to hit the high points, you know, of the miracles that God did in and through Moses in the Old Testament. But one part of his story was another what moment for me that was just like John. Moses spends his adult life after the Lord calls him with a burning bush in the wilderness. He spends 40 years with God's complaining and grumbling people. And he wanders in the wilderness with them. And he walks to the edge of the promised land and he's able to see it. And if I can paraphrase, this is kind of how it went between him and God. Hey, Moses, here's the land that I promised. By the way, you're gonna die. And when I read that, when I saw that in scripture, I'm like, what? He just spent 40 years with a bunch of complaining people? People who when manna came down from out of heaven and quail appeared and God's like doing all these miracles, a cloud by day, a fire by night, all these incredible things. He shines with the Shekinah glory of God and you're going to let him get to the promised land and just kill him? It's like, God, come on. And then there's something that I realized. And the question I had to ask myself, when will I be content to play the part God has for me in his story? even when things don't go my way. See, I'm sure that wasn't John's way. If John had his way, he's like, Jesus, I'd, just, I'd rather be like, can I just serve communion for you for the next few years while you travel around and breathe? Like, this whole prison thing's not for me. And Moses could have had a right in our minds, right, to protest. God, I've been faithful. Why am I gonna die before I go into the promised land? But these men, because their aim and their ambition was not what this world had to offer, but their aim and ambition was the glory of God, they were content to play the part that God had for them, even if it wasn't necessarily what they wanted. And it's a question that we all have to ask ourselves this morning. Are we content to play the part that God has for us in his story, even if things don't always go our way? I want to tell you a great example of this, and, and I don't see him this morning. If he's here, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling the story, but uh, Tom Connor, a guy in our church that we love, is battling cancer right now, and 
His family went through an automobile accident last week, and after last week's service, when we were talking about suffering, he walked up and he said these words, and I thought, man, I can say this on Sunday morning, but I wish you could hear his words, because this is what he said. He said, I'm so glad. I'm paraphrasing, because he said a few things. He said, I'm so glad that my suffering matters, that there's a point in this suffering, that God is glorified, God is lifted up, even in my suffering. Every time he points to Jesus, every time I can preach you a hundred sermons when, when a dude has cancer in his body and his family's been brutalized in a traffic accident, right? He can point to the cross and say, This is better. This is beautiful. Come on. So hear me when I ask you this question this morning. Are you content to play the part that God has for you in his story, even if things don't always go our way? Because listen, we are quick to follow the leader when the leader does everything that we want to do. But Christ may have it written into your story and for my story for us to walk through rocky terrain for his glory and our good. Ask yourself this morning, are you content to play the part God has for you even if it doesn't go your way? John's imprisonment was a shift in the story of God and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus preached repentance, or John preached repentance from a position of hope. I want you to hear this. John preached repentance like this. Hey guys, you should repent and get your lives right because there's one coming who's going to set things right and make everything good again. Like he's gonna bring salvation, forgiveness, and hope. Like John, there's this urgency. Come on guys, let's repent. Then Jesus comes on the scene. In Matthew chapter four, verses 17 through 19, Jesus says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John's message was a message of hope. Hey guys, this is going to happen. Jesus came with a different message that was really the same, just an extension of that message. And he said this, hey guys, repent. Because the promise has been fulfilled and you don't have to hope anymore. You can have deep assurance in your salvation in the kingdom because I'm here. John came preaching, I know and hope this is going to happen, so repent. Jesus came preaching, repent because it's happening. Repent because forgiveness and freedom and life is here. Woo, that's good stuff. Think about Jesus being on the scene, man. Let's move on. Let's see what he says. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. God is the source and the object here. The message, the good news comes from God and is about God. We've said it before in here. Christ is the content of the gospel. What makes the gospel good is that the gospel, the good news, is that we've been forgiven, restored, given new life in Christ Jesus alone. If you take Jesus out of the gospel, it's no longer good news. I said this Wednesday night, and there's a lot of times that we, we share the gospel, right, and we, we give out water, or we, and I'm not talking about us, but all over the world, we give out water, we give out blankets, we give out coats, we do social justice, we take care of social justice issues. But hear me when I say this, if we do it without the name of Jesus on our lips or without ever telling the gospel, then we just make people comfortable on their way to hell. All right. It's the truth. They have to hear the gospel. God ordained the telling of the gospel to be the means to his end of saving souls. When you give a cup of water in my name, we have to attach the gospel to our benevolence. That was all free and extra. Let's get back to the notes. God is the source and the object of the gospel. There's three things when we think about good news this morning that I want you to jot down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, just text this to a friend. Number one, 
when we think about good news, and, and you've, heard this, you've heard the gospel a million times, right? If you're church at all, you've heard the gospel and the gospel in many, 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 many different ways. But I want to give you three things that you can hang on to that are for sure the gospel this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, jot this down, please, forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So check this out. It's the gospel that when we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive our sin. It's the good news. It is good news this morning that God made a way for us to confess our sin, to ask for forgiveness, and then to receive forgiveness from him. That's really, really good news, amen? Because if there was no way to ask for forgiveness and we were kind of just stuck being morons in our sin, it would be bad news for everybody, right? So it's good news this morning that there is forgiveness. And I I get it. Some of you this morning, some of you wrestle with that concept with God. When it comes to real, deep, genuine forgiveness, you wrestle with that, that concept because you're used to dealing with people. And see, what we experience in this life is, is usually forgiveness with strings attached, don't we? I'm going to forgive you, but I have this little journal that I keep. It may not be a physical journal, but it's in the back of my mind. I'm forgiving you, but give it a month or two. You do the same thing. I'm going to remember. Right? Anybody been there before other than me? Like, I'm guilty. I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm being transparent this morning. I'll forgive you as long as you, you don't ever step out of line again, and then I'm, I'm done. We operate in that kind of system in our culture. Or either fake forgiveness. Oh, yeah, sure. Everything's good. We, yeah, good, yeah. And our hearts are just eat up with bitterness and frustration and anger and rage. See, we're, we're used to having this idea of forgiveness that has strings attached. I'll forgive you as long as there's gifts that accompany your apology. I'll forgive you as long as you go out of your way to, you know, to be this certain thing. I'll forgive you if. I want you to hear me say this this morning. God forgives you, period. Period. God, I don't have any gifts to bring. I know. God, I'm going to fail you again. I know. God, I'm going to trample the blood of Christ. I'm probably going to do the same thing again. I'm going to need to ask your forgiveness again. I know. When we come to God for forgiveness, it's forgiveness, period. I want you to hear me say this, because some of you sit under the sound of my voice, and this is your thought. TJ, you don't know how many times I've asked forgiveness for this certain sin. Some of you, even this morning, feel that guilt or shame that you've wrestled with because this one sin in your life, this thing keeps holding you down, keeps beating you up. See, TJ, isn't God going to get tired of hearing me ask for forgiveness? The Bible tells me that his mercy is new every day. You know what good news is? Good news is that tonight when I lay my head on the pillow and I wake up in the morning, God has a fresh batch of grace for me. It's a brand new batch of mercy that can't be spent. It can't be used up. So tomorrow, if I fell... Next day I wake up and look, man, it's there again. When he forgives you, he forgives you. Now hear me say this because you get some kind of, kind of tricky. TJ, don't we have to do something? Hey, we, right. 
Like, don't we have to be better or act better? Like, like, you know, the scripture says, since he gives grace, should I sin some more so he can pour more grace out? You know what the writer said, right, after that? God forbid, no. He's like, don't do that. Bad idea. Listen, the grace of God and real forgiveness, when you really see it for what it is, it moves you away from sin and towards righteousness. Real grace and real forgiveness. Intentional, genuine forgiveness. When you realize that God could have leveled the hammer on us in eternal judgment, but instead allowed the hammer of his judgment to crush Christ on the cross, when you see that fully, when you realize that, forgiveness does something different. It's not this license to where, oh, man, I'm free, I'm forgiven, I can go do whatever I want, live any way I want to. It's, I've been freed. I've been forgiven. Why would I run back? We've been set free from our chains of bondage to sin, Scripture says. Why would we run back and willingly put them on? You've been forgiven this morning. And in your forgiveness, there was freedom. Freedom to move past your sin into a life with Christ. There's forgiveness in him. And forgiveness makes restoration possible. Second thing this morning, if you're taking notes, restoration. Some of you may be like me and have seasons of your life. Maybe you came to faith in Christ when you were old. Er. Older. Maybe you came to Christ after a season of sinning that you wish you could forget. Maybe you've walked through hardship and trial. Maybe it's bitterness or anger, frustration. And you think, well, man, TJ, I've kinda, I, feel, I feel this shame over this time, this guilt over this time I've wasted. Unless I look back on a four-year period of my life when I, like, I, I kind of get nauseous when I think about who I was and what I did. And I'm not going to obviously glorify the enemy this morning and share details or anything, but I look back on this, this four-year period of my life and I think, God, if I could just get that time back. And there's been moments where the enemy has just worked me. And I, some of you may be that way. You look back on seasons, months or weeks or even years where you're like, God, I just wasted that time. I want to give you hope this morning because it's good news that God can restore the time, that he can redeem the time. And hear me when I say this and hear me aloud. God can do more with a surrendered life in one day than we could muster up in 50 years. You say, well, TJ, I waste. No, you're forgiven, you're redeemed. You have a new name and a new story and a new life and he can do more with you if you will surrender in one day than you could do with your life in 100 years. Deuteronomy 3.30, just so it's not opinion, here's the word. And when all things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. He will redeem the time. He'll redeem the time. And that's not, man, that's not just verbiage for me. That's scripture this morning. When we repent and we turn to him and we 
we receive that forgiveness from the Father, He has a way of redeeming the time and using our lives for His glory. He can redeem our soul. He can redeem our mind. And He can redeem the time. Last point this morning in good news, and that's good news, amen? Isn't it good news that, that we don't have to stress over those areas of life that we feel like we've wasted? God can clean it up and use it for his glory and for his kingdom. Third point, new life. Take note. And, and I'm going to say this. This is good news today. And this is the way we talked about it with our college students. This, this past week on Tuesday night, we do a college Bible study across the street at the Red Door at 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights. And we, we were talking about salvation, we were talking about forgiveness, we were talking about conversion, and we were talking about the gospel, essentially. We were walking through the church membership curriculum together and, and just talking about doctrine. We said, it's good news that we've been given a new life. And the reason that's good news is because our old life, a life apart from Christ, is no life at all. We're actually dead. We painted the picture like this to show appreciation for the Holy Spirit and the power of God and what he does in our lives. Kind of presented the analogy like this. We said there's a million dollars in center field and you're at home plate. Who would want to get to center field? I want to see some hands this morning. Who wants a million dollars? All right. A million dollars would be awesome. And I said, guys, how would you get there well, you would run. Well, okay, well, if you were sick, how would you get there? Well, you get somebody to help you, right? you call a friend, wouldn't you? Like if you were sick, if you couldn't go, if you couldn't make it. But how would you get the million dollars if you were dead? How would you get from home plate to center field if you were absolutely dead? Impossible, right? You'd need a resurrection. I want you to hear me say this this morning. It's good news in the gospel that we get a new life this morning because the Bible says that we are dead in our sin. We're dead. And unless there's a resurrection that takes place, we can't even see the gospel or hear the gospel. There has to be a Holy Spirit resurrection. And we like to paint the picture kind of like this. We were just kind of sick before Jesus, just a little messed up and screwed up from my childhood. That's the way I used to tell the story. Just a few problems here and there that carried over from my sinful life. And, 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 you know, I was just a little sick. I needed some Jesus help. No, I was absolutely spiritually dead, incapable of knowing and loving God. And because he is gracious and he is good and he is faithful, he picked me up from the dead. He gave me new life. So the good news this morning, he doesn't just give you a do-over. TJ, you kind of screwed up the last 16 years. You need to, you need to right the ship. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, TJ, you were sunk. And there were no life rafts. And because God is good and because God is gracious, he lifted you up from the abyss and gave you a new name and a new life and a new future. That's good news this morning, amen? Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self who be, is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 6.4, Romans 6.4, I'm sorry. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is a brand new life. You're brand new this morning. Raised from the deadness of your sin given a new name and a new identity. Hear me when I say it this morning. That 
is good news. Let's go to verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. Again, Mark here is making an urgent plea. He's kind of snapping. Guys, look, 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 look. Hey, the time's come. Hurry up. Come on, the time's come. The kingdom. Jesus is speaking. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, or even if you read in the Apocrypha and some other older writings from the same time period, the kingdom of heaven isn't actually quoted in the Old Testament. We don't see that there. This is something that Christ brings onto the scene. The kingdom of heaven. But the principle, the idea and the concept is all throughout the Old Testament. Exodus 15, 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Psalm 29, 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. So check this out. He comes saying this, the kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is this present reality and this future hope. God is sovereign king over all. So there's this present reality that Christ has the power and the authority to forgive us and to set us free. But there's also this future hope that we cling to when we think about the kingdom of God. Because there will be a day when we draw our last breath on this planet and we get to draw our first breath in the kingdom of God for eternity. And that's the place where he says this, he will wipe every tear from your eye. It's a place with no shame, no insecurity, no weakness or frailty, absolute grace and peace and confidence in the God of creation. The time has come, the kingdom is near. Knowing that the kingdom of God has become has come in the personal work of Christ, it should author in us a deep urgency to repent, to turn and believe on Christ alone for salvation. I, I quoted the verse to you from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 earlier, where he said, Jesus said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's really what he was saying, guys. Hey, look, everything that you need has arrived. All the grace that you need, all the mercy that you need, all the hope that you need, the new life that you need. When Jesus showed up on the scene, all that you would ever need had arrived. Let's go to verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Okay, I want you to see this. This is something that's really, really interesting that I love from the text. The Old Testament style and idea of a good teacher or a rabbi, they would be known, they would be noted, and students would kind of seek them out. They would want to learn. Under, you guys kind of know how if you're, you're, you're going into a certain profession, if there's a certain school or a certain teacher that's known to be really good, what do you want to do? You want to go to that school, right? You want to sit under that teacher. You want to be mentored under them. Well, that was kind of the style that went on. But Jesus broke from the norm. And instead of students banging on his door and knocking his door down to learn from him, Jesus went out and he chose his disciples from 
amongst the common people. Not all who were theologically astute or, or trained in a seminary or doctors or lawyers, though some of them were. He chose just common, ordinary men from the top of the socioeconomical ladder all the way to the bottom. You know what he did in that? He mirrored an image for us. He pictured for us in the text what he is doing today. He's not looking for a certain class or a certain IQ level or a certain denomination or a certain race. Whosoever will come. He's looking for converts, sons and daughters, followers from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Jesus is calling his disciples. Even now, he was doing it in the, Old in, in the New Testament, literally doing it today through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is calling his disciples to leave the comfort of the boat and follow him. Think about what these disciples gave up, their livelihood, their comfort, what they knew. And this theological teacher is coming on the scene asking me to follow him, to learn from him, to be his disciple but Jesus, the boat's comfortable. Jesus, I know how to mend nets. Jesus, I know how to fish. Listen, come follow me. Don't we throw out those same kind of excuses today? God calls us into salvation. We feel the Holy Spirit drawing us to repent. God, I gotta get these few other areas in my life straightened before I, before I really follow you. God, I gotta... I gotta I'm going to stop getting hammered on Friday and Saturday before I start following you. God, I'm going to stop gossiping before I surrender to the call. God, I'm going to, I'm going to stop falling into lust and pornography and fornication. I'm going to stop doing this. Then I'll get serious about you. Jesus wants you just like you are. He wants you to respond to the gospel. He wants you to ask for forgiveness, to repent of your sin, and to turn and run towards him. He's not asking you to be perfect this morning. He's asking you to repent. <laughs> he has a way of getting our house in order when we respond and surrender to him. He has a way of doing that. You're probably a little, some of you maybe a little bit like I was, and I was man, I was white knuckling the back of the pew, man. Every time somebody would talk about salvation, I'm like, mm, mm, because I know what I want to do next. Mm. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for broken men and women, broken boys and girls who he can save, redeem, and transform, and allow you to live a life of victory in Him. That's who He's looking for. Again, I'll say it, and does that, does that mean that he doesn't grow us to maturity? Does it mean that he doesn't grow us in grace so that we turn from our sin and delight in him alone? No, absolutely. That's part of the, it's called the sanctification process. The church where we use sanctification to grow from grace to grace, to mature, to grow up in the Lord, to act more and more like Christ, to reflect him to the world. That happens. But don't throw a smoke screen at the Lord. He sees through all that stuff. He knows if you're just hanging on to excuses. He wants you to respond. He loves you. He's calling today. 
one more note I want to make before we wrap up. But James and John left their father, his money, and security in order to surrender. The other two left their vocation. But then you have these dudes who Jesus calls them and they got their father in the boat who was obviously wealthy. He had hired servants. They left their trade. They left what they knew. And some of you this morning, you, you may walk into that same thing. God might be calling you. Maybe it's to mission work and, and, and you have family in your ear. Oh, you don't need to do that. You, need to, you, know, you don't need to follow you know, Christ. Christ wants you to live a safe and happy life. Don't surrender to the call. Don't go live in Zimbabwe in a mud hut, whatever your deal is, right? Now, I remember the first time I shared, my dad's an incredible encourager, and I love my dad so much. But I remember when I was like, Dad, I know God's calling me to be a preacher. I'm going to preach. He was like, TJ, pump the brakes on that. Churches are crazy, and you need a plan B. I was 18 years old. That was a real conversation. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Have a plan B. Sometimes we run into those situations, even well-meaning people. Man, God's really not calling you to sell all that you have and give to the poor but it's in the Bible. God's not really calling you to step out of your comfort zone and, and go do something that's kind of God-sized and something you wouldn't be able to do on your own. It's really God really calling you to learn a new language and share the gospel and plant the gospel where it's never been planted. Maybe, maybe this morning, maybe God's calling you and you're white-knuckling all these excuses. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's the lack of family. Maybe some of those things are the nets that are kind of tripping you up this morning. Maybe that, that dad wasn't present or that mom wasn't present or that husband and wife situation hasn't gone the way that you planned it out when you were a kid and things are just, you, you think, TJ, God's not gonna use me because of my family situation. Listen, that's just a lie from the enemy. He's calling all kinds of people this morning. He's calling you this morning to respond to the good news that you've been forgiven, that you've had the time in your life purposely restored by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you have a new life. He's calling you to respond to that reality and to live in that reality. He's calling disciples. He never stopped. He gave the commandment to, in Acts chapter one, verse 19, he told his disciples, hey guys, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. The whole purpose was, hey guys, keep making disciples because I'm gonna continue to call people to myself. Do you hear him this morning? Do you see the good news? Do you hear him calling? I'm gonna pray for you and we're gonna have an opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning. Hear me say this one last time. Don't let security, money, family, or the lack thereof keep you tangled in nets of insecurity while Christ is calling you to follow him. Don't allow security, money, family, or the lack thereof to keep you tangled in nets while Christ is calling you to follow him. The gospel has been proclaimed, the kingdom is at hand, and Jesus is calling for followers. Will you respond? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gospel. God, the gospel, God, is so complex with so many different things, but it's really just easy. It's just good news that we've been forgiven, that we have the ability to ask for forgiveness 
and that there's no strings attached with your forgiveness, God. You really do forgive us. You really do settle the debt of our sin. God, you really do restore things that we think were impossible. You do redeem the time. And God, more than that, you give us new life. You take, like the Old Testament says, you take out of our our hearts of stone and you put in us a heart of flesh. You lift up our dead souls from the abyss and you give us new life. God, that's just good news this morning. So Lord, we love you. Help us to see that and to live in that. In Jesus' name.